Welcome to Help from Future Self. Howdy, Archons. Welcome to Help from Future Self, a conversational Keyforge podcast recorded by Keyforge pals here in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, but many folks know me as just plain old Alex. I am joined by my pal, Coach Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Yo, what's going on, Scuzzy? How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I feel like um, I'm, I'm, I'm... After I had this weird little moment last week where I felt Keyforge burnt out, and I know mm. that you felt that feeling as well, but it's just that feeling of, and I find it's always a combination of one, I've been playing a lot of Keyforge, and two, I've been losing a lot of Keyforge. Ah. And you have those little moments where you feel like, I, I can't win a game, I don't feel like I'm good at this anymore, or maybe I was never good at it and I just got lucky. And, you, you know, we've talked about this as a lesson to take away is sometimes you got to walk away from the game for a little bit. So I took a mm-hmm. couple of days off, hung out, drank some water, spent some time with my significant other. And then when I came back to the game, I, I felt like refreshed and renewed. I can't help but notice that you're, you're one of your, your tactics always for, for when you're stepping away from Keyforge, no, no matter if it's for five minutes or for five days, it's drinking water. <laughs> <laughs> it's my way of keeping hydrated, man. I, I, I think that's my, like, I, it was Aurora, our, our pal Aurora, who actually first brought this up as, like, a, a perfect tournament tip, which is stay hydrated. And I think that's, like, one of the absolute best things that I've taken away from any Keyforge advice I've ever gotten. If you're in a yeah. tournament situation, drink a bunch of water. Don't, like, fill up on energy drinks or soda no. or anything else like that. It's just going to lead to a sugar crash. It's going to impede your ability to think properly. Whereas drinking water, um, although it's going to make you have to pee between every single round, it, it's a thing that's going to actually help you in in pretty much every way. It's going to keep your body feeling fresh. It's going to keep your mind operating. It's it's great. Yeah, I do that. So that's that makes sense to me. So interesting news coming up about the Alameda Vault Tour event. They've announced format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it is pretty cool. And what are they going with this time, Blake? So it looks like they're going with Archon Survivor again, which is interesting because the last Archon Vault Tour, which was at Albany uh, in January, was also a Survivor Archon. So that's I th- I don't know if that's the first time they've done back to back similar formats. Uh, obviously they probably have done back-to-back just plain old Archon, but uh, an alternate Archon to single solo Archon, I think doing the same one back-to-back is is very interesting. I absolutely think it's it's super interesting. Also because we know that pretty much every Vault Tour uh, that we've seen uh, in North America has had some kind of, like it's very rarely something straightforward. It's always almost always a skill-testing format. And it's yeah. a thing where you have to really think about not only, you know, sort of your your strategy, but you have to understand how the format works to be able to excel at it. It's very hard to just walk into it and just go without, like, spending a little time sort of thinking about it. I'll be interested to see if they sort of stick with this rotation or if they start bringing new formats in or uh, retiring old ones and switching them up a little bit. I just think it's it's great that they're they're kind of not doing solo Archon because a lot of people find that so boring. Mm-hmm. You have like so many things that can go against you it just in the heart of the cards type of thing and RNG. So the fact that I think this format it makes the most sense for not creating an extremely long day, but also creating the ability to have different kind of other than just one deck you're playing for the whole day because it's still the typical, you know, 35 minute rounds. So it's not going to be a marathon like the adaptive or triad tournaments. 
and it provides the ability to add some sort of strategy beyond just one deck that can stomp face basically and I, I think that's that's a very positive thing that's being done and hopefully this is maybe even the standard format moving forward which would be really cool because that would make all vault tours really exciting and have a lot of different uh, components and thoughts behind it yeah you also gotta wonder like for the folks who can't make it to multiple vault tours it's gonna really suck if you get a format that like you just it's not good for you like you're not the kind of person who feels like they're strong in that format and that was the one opportunity you had in your town or in your region when that vault tour came i i kind of like the idea of either having it be a, a rotating format or a one like specific format you can prep for um mm -hmm. rotating format i mean it, it makes sense for uh events where you feel like you're gonna get a lot of people traveling but like for for smaller events in some places, maybe it's just a case of let's try and get uh, let's try and get the, these VTs on sort of a consistent way of operating so that people can plan around it rather than I have to try and figure out if I'm going to this vault tour and then finding out oh it's a format that sucks for me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I also wanted to give a quick shout out. Uh, this just came up on Twitter today. Shout outs to our buddy Arthur, our convict on Twitter, for pointing it out. Balance sheet art is making some custom playmats. Now, you're familiar with Balance Sheet Art's work because they have done so many cool cards in Keyforge. Uh, they're the designer of Imperial Road, Group Think Tank, uh, Candle Unit, Howling Pit, the big one, um, a bunch of really cool Mars cards like Zorg, Ammonia Clouds. Um, they did Stealth Mode, Incubation Chamber, um, and they are doing custom playmats of their own artwork. So if you head to balancesheetstore.wordpress.com, it has a list of all the different playmats that he's going to be selling, including one special limited edition Battlefleet playmat, uh, of which he's only going to produce 100. Um, Ooh, they're also going to do go custom. Pardon me? People are going to be really excited about that. One. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. People love Mars so much. He's also saying that he's going to take custom playmat commissions. So uh, there's a, a way to contact him there. And I really want to support this kind of endeavor because we're all big fans of Keyforge artwork. But of course, the thing is that you don't ever really have a choice uh, as to what artwork gets put on a playmat. So the more artists who are going the extra mile to put their own artwork onto playmats and then making them available to Keyforge players, the more opportunities that other artists uh, will see that and then hopefully get on the same bandwagon. So hopefully we'll have a larger selection of playmat artwork to look forward to going forward. Yeah, that's awesome. And I will be sure to put a link to this in the show notes for today. All right. We're going to be continuing with a segment that we introduced just a couple of weeks ago. This one is called C plus faves. If you didn't hear that episode, here's the pitch. Everybody has a card or multiple cards in Keyforge that they like, even though objectively it's not the greatest. Maybe it's really situational. Maybe it's underpowered. Uh, maybe it just doesn't work in the deck that you have it in, but there's something about it that just it tickles your fancy. You like something about it, and uh, it's kind of just this underperforming card, but that you're never unhappy to see it because you just kind of like it. Uh, Blake, do you want to get us kicked off with a C-plus fave here? For sure. Uh, the first one I'm going to bring up is Imp Spectre. It's a two-power disc creature. And I really like the art on this one because it has like a Sherlock Holmes style, like a disc hat, which is is really funny. And the deer stalker cap. Yeah, and it's and it's not totally obvious. Like the, if you just look at it at a glance, you don't notice it. But if you analyze it, you can see it. That's why I think that's pretty cool. Considering the name is Imp Spectre, like an Inspector. Do you get it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and um, I uh, I like this card, even though like I'm not 
crazy if it's it's not like oh i gotta have it in my deck but if it's there i find it has utility because it's a two power creature with a destroyed effect that says purge a random card from your opponent's hand so it can create this interesting um kind of proposition if you want to put ember on it as a capture target or do something along those lines where it becomes a target to be killed that there's going to be a downside to killing it and that's why i really like this card uh, even though it's not like oh i gotta have it in my deck if it's there i'm not disappointed and, and it can get you some cool utility that's a good pick and I think an excellent pick for a C plus fave because it's got lots of little things that go into making it like a thing you enjoy, even if it's not necessarily going to be a game changer. Yeah, exactly. How Very about you? similarly, I'm going with an OG fave. If you have played any Call of the Archons Keyforge, you know this card. You've either played it a hundred times or played against it a hundred times. It's the Niffleape. It might be the most common card in Coda. I think I remember reading that somewhere at some point. Um, in that it appears in the most decks out of any Coda card. Um, it's a common, it's in Untamed, it's a three-power creature, and it actually has a pretty good power. And the power is this, while Niffleape is attacking, ignore Taunt and Elusive. That's actually super useful. Sadly, it's also a three-power creature, which means that you're probably not going to get more than one or two fights off at the absolute most. But I kind of like this guy, and I'll tell you why. One, for flavor reasons. Um, the Niffle cycle has never been the most impactful cycle in all of Keyforge, but having that power and then having things like Niffle Grounds and Niffle Queen is a very flavorful thing for me because it says something about the Crucible. It tells you about the wildlife that exists there and specifically about Untamed. It gives Untamed, I think, a lot of its flavor. You've got these witches that have these really impactful powers and then you have these wild Niffle creatures that are out there that are, you know, these sort of mad attack baboons, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing is, have you ever looked at the flavor text on this card? I haven't. I've actually realized I'm really bad at, at paying attention to the flavor text. I look at the art, but not the flavor text. So I've been trying to spend more time uh, taking that in because it's, it's really well thought out within the cards. Yeah. Here's an example of that. Flavor text on the Niffleape. Quote, did it just say Niffle? Unquote. Captain Valjerico. <laughs> So two sets before Cal, uh, Val Jericho appeared, they were attributing quotes to her on cards, which whether or not they already knew they were going to introduce a Val Jericho at some point or they just took, you know, sort of this reference from for one sure card, did. then, you know, it, it's just such a cool, flavorful thing. So when I see a Niffleape one, it makes me happy because it reminds me of that OG Coda, like uh, meta where these things were absolutely everywhere. You don't see them quite as much these days. And two, I kind of just like the general flavor and what it says about Keyforge. I agree. I'm, I'm hoping we're going to see Niffleapes back in Mass Mutation besides Kong. Like, I'm hoping they come back in that because I think it it is, like, such a a staple OG Keyforge card, like you said, and, and it would be cool to see them back. All right. What's your second C-plus fave for us today, Blake? So my second C-plus fave comes actually from Star Alliance. And this one is Tactical Officer Moon. So this card, you actually... I rarely see this card in any of the decks I play. And when I was trying to think of actually just C-plus faves for Star Alliance, there are not very many, actually. But this one, I find, fits the bill pretty good. So Tactical Officer Moon is a four-power creature, has an Assault 2 and then has a playability of you may rearrange the creatures in a player's battle line. The reason I put this as a C-plus fave is because with Taunt and Leaders, this card could have a lot of utility, but more often than not, you're pretty much just playing this card 
And since it's a May ability, you may not even do anything with it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of lackluster in that sense, but it becomes, I guess, the plus happens because of the fact that it could move a taunt creature out of the way or a creature out of taunt or even uh, get a leader on the end and no longer in the center of a battle line. So it does have a utility, but I think more often than not, you're not going to be seeing that. So that's why I kind of put this as a C plus fave because I do love me some Star Alliance and uh, I wanted to talk about something from there. I also feel like it's a C plus in in Star Alliance specifically. Like if you're mm-hmm. creating on the curve of Star Alliance, it's one of the lesser Star Alliance cards. Like it's them, Amber Trackers, like a D, you know. But most other Star Alliance cards are so good. There's so much value in almost every Star Alliance card. That Moon, who actually has like what would probably be an okay power in another house, just seems kind of like eh, whatever. It's not the greatest. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, I'm going to dip over into AOA, which I feel like is going to be a home of a lot of C-plus faves whenever we do this segment, to look at a Sanctum artifact. Um, no, it's not Proclamation, and no, it is not Hadrith's Wall, both of which are awesome. It's Eye of Judgment. So Eye of Judgment is a artifact. It has one pip of amber on it, and its action is purge a creature from a discard pile. Um, that's objectively actually a pretty useful power. Uh, you take somebody's, uh, you know, creature that uh, they are looking to bring back, you know, maybe using Exume or cycle through the deck to get to again, and you just take it out of the game, throw it into a discard pile. Um, it's a good power. I think the reason why this is a C-plus fave for me is that oftentimes I find it's too fiddly to get at those things in a meaningful way. It's just kind of like a bonus thing that maybe you could do if you happen to have this artifact out and there happens to be a creature to apply it to in your opponent's discard. It's just because it's an artifact and not a uh, an action, so oftentimes I find that it's just kind of sitting there not really giving you any value and yet I like it from an objective standpoint as a thing that it could potentially do. I just think that its performance is it takes too long to get to the point where it's actually useful and giving you value, especially if you don't draw it very early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, sometimes that card's greatest benefit is if you have an Oath of Poverty and you're getting that extra two ember for having to destroy it for yourself. Do you have any Oath of Poverty decks, Blake? I have a couple, yeah. They're, they can be extremely powerful. Oath of Poverty is such a weirdly underrated card. I've talked about this before. Um, if you play Oath of Poverty with no artifacts out, you get an amber. One artifact, three amber? Like, that's insane. Yeah, it's, it's pretty such crazy. an amazingly good card. If you have, like, four, like you can get so much of it off of it. Um, the big thing, of course, you have to watch out for is getting, you know, way too much amber off of an Oath of Poverty and then getting smoked with a, a too much to protect or an interdimensional graph. But I think it's just a coup de gras that people oftentimes do not see coming because it tends to get overlooked in people's lists. It, it can be yep. really effective. I agree. So one of the topics that we wanted to talk about this week was one that you pitched, Blake. Um, and it is one that I think is extremely relevant because uh, all of us, uh, on Team Help from Future Self, spent a lot of time, I think, revisiting older decks. Um, we obviously love playing the new hotness. We love it when we have a new deck in our stable that it really performs for us, and we want to check it out and test it against as many different kinds of decks as possible. But we're also big fans of revisiting old favorites. And one of the things that you were saying was that you oftentimes have to think about how an older deck, specifically, in this case, Coda decks, play in the World's Collide meta. What were your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it's weird because 
are just basically our nature of being exposed to new cards, new mechanics, new new play styles and meta cause us to now look at like the way our brain operates. And when we see lines, it's different because we're no longer looking like if we play card A, it then affects card B in a way that that results in C. So now it's kind of like if you play card A, it's now going to react to card C and D differently and just completely change that the outcome that it happens. And suddenly some cards that we were like, oh, this is cool because it affects this and this. But now it's like, oh, this card is amazing because it affects this, 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 and this in a way that you never thought before. Like, mm-hmm. I think the prime candidate of the original, one of the original best cards that ever existed is Nature's Call. And just the evolution of that card within um, each set because it's it's been printed every time. And you just look at the different ways that the card interacts. I mean, you have the original Coda way, which is obviously having a hunting witch out and playing your dust pixies over and over. That's like the most classic way of doing it or having a Choda and being able to recur that and mm-hmm. getting to play it twice. Then you have the AOA version, which is having Glimmer with a Nature's Call and being able to recur that and creating what we, what I like to call the Glim Call lock, where you can just basically start returning two of your opponent's creatures every turn back to their hand plus your glimmer and just rinse and repeat basically until it becomes very inefficient. And I then love now that we have combo. The, yeah, you're a fan of that one. And then now we have the new way, which is nature's call to do crazy things like there's it's like the utility now that exists with worlds collide is you can start putting harmonias up and down. So getting that effect of harmonia on herself. Or you can do things like pop wards and then put dinos into people's hands and it doesn't matter if they have a scutum on it doesn't matter if they have the perfectus ludo out there because the card is not destroyed you're literally putting it back in their hand and all that ember just falls right off into your pool so it's creating all these very unique ways and it's just that line of play and then suddenly you think of all these other cards that come into play but the real fun part is when you actually just the way you view cards now differently because of these new interactions. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the basic ways that we can look at this is the way that the absolute rushiest, most oppressive Coda decks have been, I'm not going to say nerfed because they're still very powerful, but now you have to be so much more careful with the way that you play them in the Worlds Collide meta because there's so many ways to punish people for trying to go for just, I'm going to rush past everything and I don't care what happens or what my opponent does. Um, the first and most basic is, of course, like in Furnaces. Um, if you drop a, a, a fertility chant and somebody drops an Infernus and purges it, you lose four amber and they got two amber off of you. Like that's that's not nothing. you know. And that, not only that, it's like you can't be like, oh, I'm not going to play this card. I'm going to just discard it because it's in your discard still. You literally have to like chain yourself or archive it so it cannot be used mm-hmm. because any other way you're literally just like you're stuck. Basically, it's, it's kind of interesting that that exists now. I, I totally agree with you. Not only that, I think we also have to look at the fact that all those OG like super hard rush decks oftentimes are built around a world in which key costs were relatively static um obviously like they cost seven maybe like there's never yeah. anything really above seven maybe your opponent has a lash of broken dreams and you got to play around that but oftentimes you could sort of burst up to that nine and or ten to make sure they don't take you off with shadows or something like that but one way or the other now there are so many ways to raise key cost both in aoa with all the grump buggy shenanigans that were going on in there and now in worlds collide where it's like if Every house doesn't have it, then almost every house has it. So suddenly, you know, these super bursty decks that 
don't have a lot of answers for what your opponent does and just try to get by on just getting a bunch of amber don't work as efficiently as they used to. And I think that, uh, you know, some of them become useless and other ones just become more, you have to be more strategic and bait out those responses earlier so that you can then get into the burst and rush. So uh, maybe it's a case, and I found this with one of my decks uh, that I still play relatively frequently from that era that was a very fast deck in Coda times and now is a relatively fast and controlly deck in uh, uh, WC times is it changed the way I played the deck. I don't just go for the straight bursts anymore. Now I pick and choose my moments for the burst and I try and bait out the answers before my opponent realizes that basically you're playing a little bit of chicken with them, trying to get that to go on. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on on that. It's 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 kind of weird, but it's also cool. Like that the game will constantly evolve and things that were old and did one thing no longer are as valid in that line of play and i just find that like the fact that keyforge can present that where where you're just going to have decks that change and maybe something that you thought was amazing no longer is because literally a couple cards exist and if you run into them it, it just derails you or you have to figure out this is the other thing it's like now you have to play the 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 game of discovery to see how else the deck works without using those pieces if something comes mm -hmm. up. And I think that is the essential part of Keyforge that makes it so amazing and unique is that you can always discover other elements within the deck that can maybe perform now under different circumstances when certain, I guess, um, effects and obligations can hinder other aspects. So I love that part about Keyforge, and I think we're both on the same page with that. Yeah, 100%. The other thing is that because we understand um, the value of having counters to board in WC, lots of sort of like conditional board clear cards from older uh, sets have actually like taken on a lot more value. One of the ones that I always like to bring up because it's a card that it's a Brobnar card, so it's already close to my heart. Um, but I think it's probably arguably one of the best uh, board clears in the game is Champion's Challenge. If you're not familiar with mm -hmm. that card, it's uh, an action, play it, destroy each enemy creature except the most powerful enemy creature, then destroy each friendly creature except the most powerful friendly creature, ready and fight with your remaining creature. So, I mean, if you have a board full of warded creatures across from you, okay, fine. Maybe you're going to have to sacrifice a bunch or even all of your own creatures with Champion's Challenge, but it is going to allow you to have that big fight with an opposite creature if you've got a big Brobnar body, let's say a troll going on. And maybe you can even follow it up with something like a, 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 a Ganger Chieftain or a War Drummer or some other combo like that to get that happening. I love seeing stuff like that because Champion's Challenge was always a pretty good board clear, and now it's an excellent board clear, especially if you can pair it up with something else in another house, let's say a Gateway to Dis, a Hysteria, anything. You totally just made my, my brain like like explode with excitement thinking of a possibility it would be you have quicksilstone out and mm -hmm. you play a champion's challenge knowing that your creature is going to lose that battle so you have no creatures on board and suddenly you leave your opponent with only one creature and now they can't play creatures oh my goodness the the possibility is an excitement you just got me going there thinking if if that could happen we're gonna have <laughs> to have a quicksilstone episode at some point i oh. think you and i are both like kind of on the quicksil train right now and, yeah. uh, you know, the weird possibilities of little like tricks and combos that work with Quixelstone when you have it out on the table is not inconsiderable. Um, yeah. I wanna, I mean, oh, sorry, go ahead. 
Yeah, I, just to go on the Quixelstone things, so for our listeners know, I literally just got a Quixelstone deck last week, and I, I jammed it for the first time last night, and I managed to get it out four out of four games in the first three turns, and oh, that that card just, it just sings to me in so many different ways. I love Star Alliance too much. Like, it's it's actually bad. I need to, like, get off of Star Alliance and expand my horizons a little. I'm just too obsessed with them. They are one of the most intricate houses Um it's been said many, many, many times by a lot of folks that um, although Saurian is, I think, the more like splashy big moment um, house, which is also a lot of feels bad moments as well as we've seen. Uh, you've heard me complain lots of times about Tribute Six Emperor and stuff like that. No, you don't. Um, com- you never complain about that. What are you talking about? <laughs> Actually, somebody called me out on it when I played that combo the other day on on. Uh, uh, you Crucible. played it. Someone's like, look at the pot calling the kettle black. What am I going to do? I got to play the cards that are in the deck. I didn't build it. What am I going to not pay a deck, play a deck I paid for because it has a combo I don't like in it? No. At a certain point, you got to, if you can't beat them, then you tribute six semper them. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, um, I think that probably the particular um, effect that has had the most changes since WC became uh, the current set is Capture. Capture was a thing definitely in AOA, but it was so centered around Sanctum. Whereas I feel like now, um, especially with a lot of Brobnar decks where Pile of Skulls is very prominent, Shattered Throne is very prominent, um, as well as, of course, all the shenanigans that go on in uh, Saurians. Uh, and then not only that, we have uh, the cards in Star Alliance like Xeno Training and uh, Frain uh, and Frain's Blaster which lets you get that Amber off which is a sneaky move that people don't necessarily see coming because you can get it right on play if you go for it um, I, I feel like that dynamic has changed so much since the days of Coda do you ever look back at like an older deck with a little bit of capture in it and think about the possibilities of those cards in the context of WC one of the things I think about is like if if like for example, we we know that dinos are a big part of the meta, is I think that you look at capture as a counter to Axiom of Grisk. So if you have a frame, a lot of times don't put it on frame necessarily. Put it on the creatures that you actually want to protect if you know they have a Grisk, because that can be a thing that can uh, actually work against you. So that's one thing I thought about, and then I know from my own personal experience when I brought my very first Worlds Collide deck to a tournament, it had double Axiom of Grisk, and then my opponent was playing a Sanctum deck, and it was it just shut it down. So I, I think that having Capture can actually be a thing that's not only creating Ember Control, but it's also saving your creatures against certain aspects that exist now that Worlds Collide exists. So I find that very interesting. And yeah, I definitely think that Sanctum is going to have a huge resurgence in mass mutation and come back like... Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Sanctum is the best house in the new set. Like, I honestly wouldn't be surprised. I want them to be because that means when they bring back Brobnar, Brobnar will be the best house. Well, maybe a couple years before we see Brobnar then, if that's your logic, but sure. (laughs) No, no, it's cool. We're just going to bring back all the best Brobnar cards from the history of Keyforge. We're going to bring back Champion's Challenge. We're going to bring back Loot the Bodies. Just just get them all in there. Bring back Mighty Javelin. That card rules. Yeah, Um, I agree. Yeah, one last thing I wanted to bring up, Alex, was um, I actually did a YouTube video looking at a Coda deck from a Worlds Collide perspective. Uh, I won it at Chainbound the other night, and uh, I thought, oh, well, I don't just want to crack this for the sake of cracking it. Let's uh, make some content out of it. And since I knew we were doing this episode, I decided to film this 
uh, looking at the deck as I opened it from how it would interact in uh, against a Worlds Collide deck. And it was honestly a lot of fun to view something like a Coda deck with that perspective in mind. So I'll put a link to that in uh, in the show notes as well. A lot of links in the show notes today to other things. All right. We cannot end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. This one's called Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. Blake, I understand you have one for us this week. Yes, I do indeed. So this week, this past two days that we have Keyforge, which is Sunday and Monday, uh, I played two basically relatively new decks. And both of them, I was faced with moments where I wasn't sure what to do. So it actually caused me to have a little bit slower play than I normally normally would. And in two games, actually, I went to time. One of them was with you, Alex. And the other one was against our friend AJ. Um, and the lesson here is time management is a very important thing in, in Keyforge. You got to be very aware of that and the things that go along with that. So unfortunately, I had a moment where... Um, the, the, the shop owner actually announced we had one minute left, which had not been done in any of the previous rounds. And it threw me into a panic mode of trying to like play out cards. And I did some really dumb things inefficiently. And I wish that hadn't happened. I wish I just chilled and like not freaked out because I, I literally misplayed so hard because I was in trying to go as fast as I can to be done. And so that I get that extra tiebreak turn. And this is what I think is wrong with tiebreakers is that you panic and want to have the last say, not your opponent. And I think that really sucks. And I really hope they they eventually evolve the tiebreak um, the way it comes down to it at the end. Because, I don't know, I just, I just found that when you don't know your deck, which was my case here, um, you can get into these moments where you're not playing as efficiently. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's basically all it is. My, my help from future self is learning a new deck, you have to be aware that you're going to be playing less efficiently. You're going to have times when you're not sure what to do you're not sure the lines of play you should be taking, and that's okay. You just have to understand that you're in a learning process and you're figuring out the deck, and you can always go in TCO to get those extra reps in, but I think there's a big difference because you don't have time limits the same way on TCO as you do in a tournament, and there's not the same pressures that exist to an extent. So just keep in mind that when you're learning a new deck, you need to be patient, and if you take those L's, that's okay. Be aware of how they came, um, where you found yourself kind of trying to figure out oh i don't know really what i'm doing with this deck or these cards and just know that that's okay that's part of the learning process like every deck is going to have that at to some degree and that's one of the great things about keyforge is that every deck is a learning process so just remember be patient with yourself be aware of time and uh, allow yourself the moments to just be calm and relax and don't necessarily be afraid of the time at the end because you could end up making a worse mistake than if you had just taken your time and allowed it to lapse and given your opponent that extra play. That's a great lesson and a good one to keep in mind. A quick note on your talk about tiebreakers. I would love to see an overhaul of the way tiebreakers work in Keyforge because, to be totally frank, um, I think they're really ripe for abuse, um, mm-hmm. especially if folks are keeping an eye on, uh, you know, I tend to set timers for myself um, when I'm playing Keyforge. Uh, oftentimes just so that I can see how much time is left in the round. I don't know if that's officially allowed during competitive play, but nobody's ever called me out on it, so I hope so. One way or the other, um, it's very easy for somebody, if they know there's very little time left on the clock, to try and work the system in such a way that they end up with the tiebreaker turn, and that's not cool. 
Yeah, and I also don't like when time's displayed, but it's not displayed so both players can see it. So one person has a clear advantage because they know the time and the other person has their back to it. Like, I'm not a fan of displayed time, period. I actually don't think you should be even given a five-minute mark. I think it should literally just be you play and it happens when it happens. There's no need to give any warning. I do like if it's consistently done, though. Like, I know Brett does it for us. He gives us a five-minute warning uh, and he sets an alarm for it. And it's done every week. So it's not like, oh, this week we're doing it, next week we're not. But I'd rather we have no warning whatsoever. And it's just it's just the time exists. You shouldn't be allowed to keep time. You just actually just have to play. And it may actually lead for you to be more efficient because you, you're you not really having that ability to, to have that as a resource. Yeah. Um, I had two games go to time uh, this past Sunday. And in both cases, time got called. I had to think about what was happening to make sure that, you know, uh, things were going to happen my way. One of the turns, literally the time got called at the exact moment my turn was ending. So I didn't get another turn after that, which is kind of a bummer. One way yep. or the other, uh, you've been listening to Help from Future Self. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash HFFS podcast. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and on the Crucible at Scuzzy Gruen. Thanks to everybody who's been giving me uh, uh, quick shout outs on the Crucible before we play a game. Uh, thank you very much for listening. I really enjoy uh, getting to know you a little bit better as we get to play some Keyforge. Where can they find you, Blake? You can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Boulevard Paper Fight. That's BLVD Paper Fight. And you can also find me on my YouTube under the same name. I'm really ramping up my content on there lately. So uh, check it out and check the link for the Coda analysis I did looking at it facing a Worlds Collide meta. All right. That's it for Help from Future Self for this week. We'll see you again very soon. Until then, stay fortunate.